Stop it! Cut it out! I have a glandular problem! Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host Mike. And we finish our trilogy with a sequel that isn't really a sequel, but has the DNA of the original, as claimed by its horrible producer J.J. Abrams. Ten <laughs> Cloverfield Lane. I had to get that dig in. <laughs> I remember doing a double feature in Washington, D.C. at the AMC Theater with Ten Cloverfield Lane and Knight of Cups, and having two very different reactions to both of those films. Uh, this is the time, and I mean this, no insult, uh, no shit, <laughs> with those, those two paired together. <laughs> I did not enjoy 10 Cloverfield Lane as much, but I was really into Knight of Cups, and I think that maybe because I skipped to The Wonder and went straight from Tree of Life to this. And Tree of Life is one of my all-time favorites. It's really wonderful. I put it right up there where 2001, where it's a film that encompasses everything. And I was like, oh, man. Like, I can't... I, I need to watch everything Malick does now. Because I wasn't... I mean, what is it? Badlands and, and um, New World and some of the older stuff. I was like, okay, it's fine. Days of Heaven. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Tree of Life, I was like, holy crap this is an event film it's, and it should be treated as such and so every single other film i'm like it's all event films and then it was not either way 10 cloverfield lane was just kind of like an appetizer for my <laughs> night of cups i guess but i look back on it now after a couple rewatches at this point and i'm much more positive on this film once again, I love the staginess of it. I love the fact that it's taking place in one location and the interplay between three very different characters. How did you approach this film, and were you actually a fan of Cloverfield? We have discussed this briefly, that there are some plot issues with Cloverfield. I think, as Scorsese put it, I think it's a, it's a thrill ride of a film that just barely works matt reeves gets as much as he can out of that premise how did you feel about cloverfield and were you aching for a sequel the way that i guess most of its fans were i did not and i was pissed that there was a sequel uh when it actually came to pass <laughs> that and i guess this was dropped when did they start the marketing was it like a month before it released i felt like that it snuck up on people which was kind of cool not uh quite the surprise uh, that the Super Bowl commercial for the Cloverfield Paradox was when it said airing on Netflix, like, you know, after the game, which I like that a uh, bit of, uh, I guess, chutzpah there. I like the, the sort of Carnival Barker uh, uh, roadshow style, like, hey, we've got something else and you can have it right now, like in a half hour, here it is. 
And then it was the Cloverfield Paradox, which I think I watched 10 minutes of. And I was like, well, this is <laughs> this is late. I just watched the Super Bowl and this is kind of trash and never returned to it. <laughs> which is which, you know, since I watched 10 minutes, that counts as 500 million views or whatever Netflix <laughs> accounts for. But 10 Cloverfield Lane, as far as I was not excited for it. I mean, in concept, I wouldn't mind, I guess, like a feature film version of the Twilight Zone. Uh, where you just have these sort of uh, odd, uh, amazing stories style things happening under this franchise banner where it can be anthology-like uh, in a way. Different characters come in and it's going to be sci-fi, horror, fantasy, what have you. Because I think, you know, by the time we get to the end of Tin Cloverfield Lane, even just, I just watched it again yesterday. I don't really know. What that's you know, it's just kind of vague as far as what this is building to. It's like you know, it's some sort of alien invasion. Is it the same aliens as the original Cloverfield? I don't know. That was like a giant monster movie, so it doesn't seem like it. But I don't really care. I, I was, and I don't know if I'm saying that because I was not a fan of the first Cloverfield. I don't like the found footage style of films, uh, even when I guess they're well done. I still always prefer them not to be. So at least on initial watch, I was happy that this was a proper film with <laughs> proper actors and not, uh, was it TJ Miller just shouting inane jokes uh, until, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming he was killed off. But for me, it was it took far too long before he died in that film. But I, I still thought this was kind of dumb like on initial watch. And I remember this got it seemed like a lot of positive reaction when it came out. It's strange now. I don't know if that's the, the, the Netflix paradox version of Cloverfield, which just killed the franchise, but it seemed like there was a, a like a positive uh, upswing where this was going to propel this style of storytelling, uh, and there was going to be another one two years later, and it would have an entirely different cast, and... I don't hear that anymore. <laughs> like, I don't... I, so bad, I guess, was Paradox, but... On rewatch, I wasn't as harsh on it. Um, I had the distance from this being a Cloverfield entry, and I just I, I knew going into it that it doesn't really matter. Like spoiler alert, the aliens at the end. You can just watch it as uh, John Goodman uh, kidnaps the love interest Ramona from Scott Pilgrim and then is fucking butthurt that this other idiot, this other dude <laughs> with a penis comes in and tries to move in on his love nest that he was building for a sexual relationship that no one on earth wants to see. John Goodman and Mary <laughs> Elizabeth Winstead. I can get into the creep factor that I can get into uh, John Goodman uh, being really upset when someone interrupts his movie night during the end of the world. He's fashioned this bunker, and he really wants to watch... Is it Pretty in Pink? I can't remember if that's the insult that the character gets wrong, which 80s movie he's watching, but whatever it is, there are elements of John Goodman's performance that I enjoy a lot more now. And I don't know if that's coming off of COVID web, where we've <laughs> kind of lived a bunker lifestyle, and people maybe are spending too much time together at home. I wouldn't say that I'm a fan of this film in general, but my second time around was a lot better than the theatrical experience. That's fair. And I think 
my second time around, which was a little while back, I watched it after, when it came out on home video, and I've watched it a couple times since then, actually. And I do look at it as very much a standalone because, yeah, I, I don't want to rewatch Cloverfield. That was not a very satisfying film. Again, it has its highs and lows on, on the initial watch, and then afterwards, not so much. I, I can't believe my wife hasn't divorced me because I did make her stay up late after the Super Bowl. Like, we're going to watch the Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, no. <laughs> and ten minutes in, I was like, I'm going to have to file for divorce soon <laughs> because I was like, I can't believe I subjected my wife to this. It's like 1.30 in the morning and we're watching this crap. So the trouble is, if you want to do a Twilight Zone TV show that worked, you can have a bad episode and then you move on to the next one. You can't do that with a movie because there's a lot that goes into putting a movie out there, marketing it, getting people to get out of their homes to go watch it in the theaters at that time. Maybe you can do it now. I don't know. But another thing that was great was for the producers and and the people who really wanted Cloverfield to be a franchise is that they kind of found themselves with a script that they could mold into the Cloverfield universe. I think Bad Robot has its own little, like, version of the Zoetrope studio, the way that Coppola kind of wanted to make films. They have their own little version of that. And so that's how they made 10 Cloverfield Lane pretty uh, pretty much on the DL. And it also helps that the initial director was Damien Chazelle. He came in and did the rewrite for the script to make it a better script. And that's where 10 Cloverfield Lane really works for me because ultimately... Uh, the theme of the film is, you know, fighting abuse and to a lesser extent, like Stockholm Syndrome a little bit. You've got this uh, strong and I guess semi-independent woman, Michelle, and she is in a possibly abusive relationship that she kind of expands upon a little bit. She mentions like her father as well. She's trying to get away from this guy. She's breaking an engagement. And while she is, you know, her instinct is to tuck and run. She gets herself into this situation in the bunker. And then it's funny because that becomes a metaphor kind of for her own situation, a very literal trap. And she needs to find a way to escape. And we see how uh, smart and, and kind of creative she is throughout that concept. And then a lot of people, I think, also did not like the concept of, oh, okay, well, now we're going to throw aliens in this final act. But... I think that that was very necessary because she needs that one more obstacle. Because in the beginning of the film, when she's escaping her bad relationship, she decides to escape and does the same thing with the bunker. That's not enough. She needs to tackle her problems head on. And that's kind of what the aliens represent. And so I I like that quite a bit. And the fact that she's heading headfirst into being more engaged with society at the end and heading towards something positive gives me a very very like satisfied feeling by the end of this film and to which i don't need more films and that's why i really do feel like this is standalone uh the meat of this film really is that interplay between the three characters that you mentioned not quite as simplistic as a weird threesome <laughs> where <laughs> <laughs> look man <laughs> It's 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 time. It's been uh what two months since we had uh, a Woody Allen film on here. So Vicky <laughs> Christina Barcelona. That's just right around the corner. It's coming soon. Certainly, uh, Goodman is so good, man, and he relishes in these performances. Like I don't know how he's able. Did you watch Roseanne at all growing up? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you're you're going back to those days. It was hard to uh, to be a regular watcher, especially as a kid. I had very few shows. Like you know, The X Files was one that I made a point of. Like when it was on Friday nights originally at nine o'clock. Uh, especially as a middle schooler that had no <laughs> no social skills when it came to the, the opposite sex, <laughs> I didn't have to worry about going to school dances or anything because <laughs> goddamn it, there was another monster of the week to follow. But I certainly was aware of it in passing. I I don't remember anyone pressuring you to watch every episode of Roseanne or you'd be lost. So I was aware of the characters and I'd watch it if I was in the living room at the time. But yeah, that's I'd, so don't don't test my Roseanne mythology because I, I would not pass that exam. No, that's OK. But Dan Connor is such a lovable father figure. He's one of the greatest like uh, TV dads, I think, of all time. And so it's so unnerving to see him. In something like this where he is the abuser. He creates the false narrative to keep Michelle kind of separate and isolated from not only the rest of the world and society, but also from the social interactions within the bunker itself. And so you've got him feeding on her inability to kind of escape and what he is offering he really creates this fake world for her like you can only trust me look what i did for you even when he tells her like i was the one who you know crashed into you he still refers that incident as him saving her what a villainous performance and even in his inner grotesque nature becomes external once he is in that hydrochloric acid or whatever the individual and he becomes physically transformed very very exciting stuff a great script very economical every little thing all the uh Chekhov's gun every everything that's placed in the script it kind of comes back around and so that's kind of why I like it from a technical standpoint and from just a structural standpoint I think this film is very very uh, it's a very good stagey thriller, and then I, I, if I hope people can see a running theme this month. I tend to go against some of the uh, coldness of this film in that way, where every everything that's mentioned, or if there's an item, it's like, well, I wonder how they're going to use that later. Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless you go full tilt and you have the dude from the newsroom attempt to kill goodman by having him choke on the pretty and pink dvd or something it's like every <laughs> single thing they mention has to be used i had forgotten how because it's different like the in the marking in the trailer they they're just showing you these people like kind of living together and then i guess the little twist is that they're in like a bunker uh, and you don't really know why i wouldn't say that the howard character is portrayed by john goodman that there's anything uh there's any particular twist to them he is pretty much what you see is what you get as far as that dude is a hyper aggressive creep at probably my favorite scene on rewatch, um, which I mentioned in my letterbox review and got zero likes because, because people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Was that he fails to get little women as the, the clue in the game. And you clearly have a woman that the John Gallagher jr. Character, uh, the, the actors uh, points to and, he keeps calling her like some form of girl or princess or like sweet thing. Like he refuses to call her woman. <laughs> Those little touches I like, I find creepy, but also the fact that even after he clearly misses a pretty easy title of something in pop culture, little woman, uh, that he's like, well, I mean, maybe next time won't you be more specific? <laughs> as opposed to like his refusal to call a woman, a woman. 
that stuff I like. I kind of wish this is not going to surprise you. I wish there was a little bit more hanging out in this doomsday bunker as opposed to becoming instantly combative with this person. I, I suppose there's one, like, was it for like maybe a minute of screen time or more where after Mary Elizabeth Winstead encounters a woman who clearly has some sort of skin problems trying to get in the door where she doesn't doubt Goodman, but then he's such an oppressive prick that you're like, well, even if he's fucking right, he may kill me anyway. Like that's, I think that's where some of the balance is thrown off for me. But he, you, he's such a methodical creep though, in that like, I can use this event. Like she clearly, you know, had a plan. She attacked him Except with the bottle. One thing. There's one, one missing element here. He has designed a bunker where there's no way he can fit through <laughs> this, this area to fix an airflow problem. And I'm like, so methodical, except now, sir, I don't know what you look like before you got ideas of a post-apocalyptic scenario and you, you ate your feelings. <laughs> but what were you thinking? And I don't know if the dude from the newsroom was like, uh, hey, Hey, Johnny boy, maybe not. And he like slapped him for, for calling him fat or something. But there, there are certain elements of the plot where I'm like, that doesn't make one lick of sense. And I don't know if it's Howard's fault. You know what? I don't care at that point. But <laughs> it's a pretty big gap or actually a very small gap. That's fair. Agreed. But he's able to use that event to be like i'm gonna trick this uh <laughs> clearly not a little woman i'm, so, I'm sorry i'm just there's got to be a missing scene where the the dude with the arm and the sling is like well, why the hell did you design it like that and you're just beating him senseless this one-armed dude like there's there's an element for dark comedy <laughs> that, just take your time cloverfield producers jj abrams and I don't know. I'm. I, I shouldn't. You know what? I'm not going to apologize. We just did an episode where you just reveled in excessive violence against women from the <laughs> heroic racist. <laughs> so I will not apologize. I want to see John Goodman slap some people. I do like. Well, I, I more so than that. I like the idea that Goodman would be coming back at that claim as like when I was building this fucking thing, I was in shape and I was able to do it. Since then, I've been enjoying the fruits of my labor. <laughs> I think that it had just enough hangout stuff, and that might be because I prefer the combative nature of this very localized thriller, because, again, with any film where you've got kind of a gimmicky plot, you don't want to spend too much time on it. I mean, there's a reason even Alfred Hitchcock's Rope is less than 90 minutes. I think it's barely 80 minutes. So it's like when you've got a specific gimmick, don't overstay your welcome I'm thinking about uh, Shoot 'em Up. Shoot 'em Up was like a, from what I remember, pretty ridiculous film, but that's also barely 80 minutes. When you've got a gimmick, use it and then move right along. I think this one does that. The added alien sequence, I think, is necessary for me in terms of the, the thematic satisfaction, but it all works. The, the hangout stuff is just enough because when you find yourself in. I, I'm assuming that that Stockholm Syndrome, it's like you begin to, okay, like this is what's best for me. And that's where she is as she starts pulling at the threads of like, well, this isn't great. And oh, by the way, I found this uh, earring and they kind of put the pieces together. I like it. It doesn't overstay as welcome. I don't want too much of a hangout film because as soon as it becomes a hangout film, I feel like the film's going to (laughs) drag. And you don't want... 
How? You don't want to start empathizing with Howard here. Like, at no point should you be like, this is fun hanging out. You know what? We will do 16 okay. Candles after <laughs> after Pretty and Pink. I do like some of the humor. Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character, she even has a line of like, oh, come on, when she sees, I think, the giant alien spaceship. Like, Yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> like, one more thing. Um, I like the fact that she needs a mask. Um, she cuts her suit on the truck door. She's frantically trying to tape it up. Then she sees a bird flying. She's like, oh, well, fuck it. I'll take off the mask. <laughs> then, she, then the alien comes, and there's a ship that drops down gas on her head. That is part of like, okay, don't take any of this too seriously. On that note, Webb, all I'm asking for is an injection of more humor into the later parts. Like, how the fuck does John Goodman sneak up on people on this fucking bunker? (laughs) You've got canned food, like tight spaces. How's he appearing in her doorway while she's like, you know, trying to design her elaborate, uh, a post-apocalyptic suit based off these uh, cosmopolitan magazine designs. I would love sequences where you just hear cans getting knocked over and you're like, here he comes again. And her putting the magazine up, putting the suit up. Would have been fantastic. I don't know if the nerds would have approved of it. I would have adored it if they had de-escalated some of the threat of Howard just because of it. Like, cause his ego is the threatening nature of him, right? His absolute belief that he is right in what he's done and kidnapping this woman and treating her as a love interest slash replacement for his daughter. You never, and I guess it's the threat of either one. You don't really know which direction, but it's unseemly either way. But come on, man. Like I, I would have loved for him cursing, knocking something over again. And like the other two victims here, uh, just rolling their eyes. Like here he comes again. <laughs> to be creepy. <laughs> I don't know if that's an insult to the work of Dan Trachtenberg here, who I did look up. He didn't go on to do another movie. He's like directing episodes of The Boys on Amazon. That's surprising me. This was a hit. This was well received when it came out. I think he was tapped here to do a follow-up to The Predator. But from what I understand, there's no way they're going to make a sequel to that thing. They're going to shove another reboot in our faces and maybe he'll do something then. But yeah, he has not had much to do. Well, not much to do, but he hasn't... uh, put himself in a position to do a major film in a little while. And I do wonder uh, why that is. Cause clearly he made a, a, the studio a good amount of money. He's able to handle these small character interactions and, and a, a bulk of this film is just that. So I, I am interested to see what he does next mildly because. Holy shit. Did you read up on this predator thing? Trashenberg was announced to be developing a film under the working title of skulls set during the American Civil War and following a Comanche woman who goes against gender norms and traditions to become a warrior. In November 2020, it was revealed that the project will actually be a fifth film in the Predator franchise. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> per, you know, yeah, treat, treat Predator, turn that into the next Cloverfield. That's the only way to like save this fucking franchise. Is to uh, put the Predator in the different time periods. That's it. It's like the uh, the opening sequence of Wolverine Origins. So we just have Wolverine in different time periods. Same thing with Predator. I mean, I if you could pull that off, you know, and it's like, look, all my issues with 10 Cloverfield Lane aside, uh, I know I'm in the minority in that regard. I think it's, when I rewatched it, I was like, you know, this is actually the type of stuff, not the franchise building of slapping the Cloverfield label on it. But these are the type of genre 
films that I wish, you know, the theatrical experience still supported in a way. Uh, even streaming. I wish streaming, like, would just put some good actors like Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman just pairing off in the, a bunker. And then you just find out what the twists will be as you, you go along, if there's going to be a spaceship. <laughs> Kudos to them if they had pulled it off. Apparently he says here that uh, he had been working on this film since 2016 with the original intention was to market the project without any references to Predator. So you would go watch this American Civil War movie about a Comanche <laughs> woman, and then the Predator would show up. But, you know, that's not going to come to pass, I guess. Oh, well. Can't have nice things. Well, to some extent, you don't want to... You want to be able to surprise the audience. You don't want to bamboozle them. <laughs> like, if they're coming into the movie, watch, you know, wanting to watch something... A historical fiction. You don't want to throw Predator in their movie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I think I think Cloverfield is dead. Like, there's no way another film comes. <laughs> out. There's no way. I, I. That's why I look at Ten Cloverfield Lane. Clearly, the standout of this horrible trilogy. Uh, and and I'm like, yep. This is. I think this absolutely. And maybe I've tricked myself into thinking. This is absolutely a standalone film. I think it is. I, it doesn't make any references to Cloverfield. I mean, you know, you've got those radio broadcasts here and there, but you know, they they don't amount to much. They don't specifically mention the events of the film. Just that there are. It's just setting up like blackouts and and what Howard is going to mention. And again, the structure of the film I like, so I don't mind. Need more canned good humor. That's what I say. I'm going to stick to that. Once upon a time in Hollywood did it, Cloverfield could have been there first. You just want another character who plays the tuba behind John Goodman as he's walking around in his bunker. <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is. Bum, 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 bum. That's, that's the movie we want to see. Huh? I, I think I could have saved us from the Cloverfield paradox if they had taken my notes because people would have <laughs> recoiled in horror from this. <laughs> So, yet again, history has proven me right.